You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside the Fox 59 CBS4 Podcast Conference Room, this is another Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Alongside Mike Chappell and Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths. What a mammoth game the Colts have coming up this weekend. Not even halfway through the NFL season, but but boy, this one certainly goes a long, long way in uh, giving the Colts a reasonable chance to come back on their deficit currently in the AFC South and uh, still gunning for that division title uh, at the end of the year. You lose this game, chap. First off, let's start with this, first of all, just quickly. I'm sure we'll get into it much later, but you, you, you lose today and you're you're all, all but done in the division. You're four games back, essentially, with nine to play. You'd have to go perfect 9-0, and or, and you have to have everyone else. You have to have the Titans go 5-4 uh, and four the rest of the way to, to win the division. So, so suffice to say, this weekend, coming out on top over the guys who you're chasing in the division is crucial. Yeah, I, I always go back to Marv Levy, where somebody asked him about a must-win. He said the only must-win was World War II. Well, in football terms, must win. This is a must win. We talked to Darius Leonard today. He said, I normally don't mention must win. This is must win. And we've tried to push Frank Reich on, you know, off of the one and oh, is this a bigger one and oh weekend? And he knows we're just, we're sort of going hyperbole. This is like you said, win this one and you've got a realistic chance at the division. You really do. Without it, you don't. Four down with, with nine to play, it, it just doesn't work. And then and then you're hoping that, as we've seen, the first nine weeks of the or seven weeks of the season, it's been really kind of crazy in the AFC. You think somebody's the team to beat, and then all of a sudden they they, they hit on a slide. So, so maybe uh, a wild card's a possibility, but I still think whatever. You've got to find a way to get to 10 and 7 and losing number five this quick with, oh, by the way, a, a trip to Arizona, a trip to Buffalo, and you've got Tampa Bay coming in. So they, they, they can try to be as even keel and, le- and level-headed as they want to, but they, they know. They know the magnitude of this game, and hopefully they they play accordingly. So over the next uh, 45 to minutes to an hour, we'll preview the matchup, providing an injury update from the Colts. We'll break down some keys to the game. We'll make our own predictions, but first – we start with the news and some good news coming out of the uh, NFL this week as Rigoberto Sanchez, Colts punter, won the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Uh, second time he's won the award this season. Joe certainly recognizing a punter who's he's good at getting distance, which is kind of what he's, uh, what's it called? It's what he's kind of recognized for this week, but also very good at pinning the ball inside the 20, as we've seen over the years with the Colts. Yeah, he's a, he's a little more quiet than Peck McAfee was. But, a little. Uh, Everyone's a little quieter than Pat McAfee was. (laughs) But uh, he's certainly a wonderful punter in his own right. And, I mean, he he may have gotten a little help from Brandon Ayuk on that 79-yard punt there that got kicked back in the end zone for not a safety but a touchback. But uh, you know what? The Colts still won the game, and uh, Rigo won AFC Special Teams Player of the Week, so it all works out. Mike, I know as you're watching that game, because I was watching it, and I saw that play, and I was like, that's a safety right there. That had to be your initial reaction, right? Yeah, that's one of those where somebody mentioned that, that he that he kicked the ball right through a loophole in the rule. Because uh, I, I I don't know how you a team should benefit from a from a punt returner just botching the play, but that's what happened. And everybody says that the rule or the the play was was judged adequately, but it's just crazy that a team is benefits 
from the returner botching the play so poorly. Well, we'll take a 79-yard punt, as you said, Joe. Uh, Colts all this, also this week signed safety Jaleel Adai and tight end Eli Wolf to the practice squad, released guard Sack Bailey from the cr- practice squad. Uh, Adai is probably the more interesting one of this group chap. With 31, He's 31 years old. He spent most of his eight-year career with the Chargers, and uh, they need some experience uh, back there in the secondary with, uh, with Julian Blackman still out and uh, remaining out for the foreseeable future. And uh, just just need more than bodies. Need some experienced bodies back there to kind of uh, level the uh, just just keep things on the level. I guess is the best way that I, that I can put it. Yeah, I don't think it was such a big deal last week in the rain in, in Frisco or Santa Clara. It will be this week with because th- th- this will be be great conditions, obviously indoors, and, and Tennessee will push the ball down the field when they're not trying to shove Derrick Henry down the Colts' throat. So. Uh, it's just it, losing Blackman just does so much to this team detrimentally. And uh, as we've talked either last on Monday or last week is the, 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 the you, you lose the player, but, but the drop off between Blackman and whomever's next, George Odom, Sunday, whomever is just pretty immense. So they've got to find, you've always got bodies, but you need bodies you can rely on and hopefully, bringing him in helps. Yeah, Joe, if I was to describe the Colts' defense uh, as, as simply as I possibly could to someone who doesn't understand too much about the NFL, I would say, and and Matt Eberflus has kind of maybe come under fire a little bit this year, is just is keep the ball in front of you, make them keep having to run plays, like get their play count up, and count on your playmakers to get the ball back or to make big stops when necessary. Uh, it's not necessarily... Don't let them gain a single yard, which is kind of the, the old school, you know, hard nose thing you might expect what defense is. That's really not it doesn't seem like that's the cold strategy out there. It's keep the ball in front of you, make them drive down the field, use a lot of plays. And then that gives your playmakers more opportunities, you know, to, to get the ball back. Like I said, and Julian Blackman's one of those playmakers. So without him, the Colts are down one of their one of their more important players on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I think uh, Jaleel Adai is a guy who hopefully can be a solid safety for the Colts coming in. He's got 62 career starts, although just three starts over the past two seasons as he gets up there in age. Um, His career year was 2017, so it's been a few years since he was a reliable starter in the NFL. That's why he's still available in late October. But he's someone who, between him and Sandejo, maybe the Colts can piece together that second safety position. But you're right, they just don't have the personnel to consistently have the mindset of we're not going to give up a yard because they don't have at least healthy cornerbacks on the outside who can shut you down or uh, proven pass rushers on the edge. This defense is really built in the middle with the linebackers and DeForest and Big Grove. ESPN also reporting Wednesday that Arizona's J.J. Watt is likely out for the season, uh, going to go undergo shoulder surgery. And uh, the Colts do play the Cardinals Christmas Day. So, uh, Mike, that is uh, welcome news to the Colts offensive line that you're not going to face uh, J.J. Watt. Still, you do have a uh, Syracuse's own Chandler Jones on the other side of, uh, of the defensive line. But nevertheless, he's back tonight, right? I, I think so. Yeah. Uh, but uh, not having J.J. Uh, is certainly a, a blow to the car. I think he's had a he's had a pretty good year over there with with Arizona. He was a kind of a later signee, if I remember correctly. Wasn't one of the first people to get scooped up. I don't remember exactly. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But. Um, just to, to see him also in a, in a new uniform this year has been weird. Uh, nevertheless, it seems like Arizona is going to be without him uh, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but th- this is a massive injury. It's like a, 
a torn pec, a torn rotator cuff, and something else. So, and, and this is the third or fourth year in the last four or five that he's had significant season ending, or not, if not season ending, then a major injury. So you wonder how much longer his body's going to hold up. With, with, with a lot of players, it just seems like that once they start happening, the body just says enough. Uh, Reggie Wayne sort of went through that at the end with the, the knee and the elbow and all that. So, uh, still, it's crazy that you're going to have a guy that finishes his career like this, and he's, he's not not I shouldn't say probably is he's he, he's still a first ballot Hall of Famer, he, even though he he will have missed so much time lately. But uh, you just hate to see great players not play. The Colts won't mind it, like you said. But you just hate to see great players go out this way if indeed this would be it for, for J.J. Watt. And one more note, uh, it certainly has some uh, indie implications. The NFL Combine will be back in the Circle City this February. The league announced that. Uh, but then we'll face a future of rotational cities. Uh, Indianapolis has hosted the Combine since 1987. Joe has loved it every year that he's been a sentient human being in that, uh, in that uh, time frame, uh, that he was able to watch it on TV especially. Uh, all 32 teams are going to be given the opportunity to bid on hosting the event. And according to the NFL Network, Mike, Indy, Dallas, and L.A. have bid for the 2023 event already. So we, we, we've discussed this, I think, ad nauseum in the past, and there are other Colts Blue Zone podcasts, which, by the way, I would encourage you to go check them out uh, and uh, download, subscribe, get us delivered to your podcast listening device as soon as we drop. But go to the archives and see some of these uh, around, uh, around Combine time where we talk about the value of the Combine to Indy and Indy's value as a combine host to the NFL. Mike, you've said before, if this was up to NFL GM, scouts, whatever, Indy would, would stay here. It, it would stay here ad nauseum, but that's just not the case in the NFL where uh, they're trying to make more of a show out of things, earn more money out of things, and uh, that's just the, the place that we are right now where the league is. Yeah, and I talked to Jeff Foster the other day for the story we posted on our website, and he and I, we've talked about this for the last, I don't know, six or seven years. You've seen this coming. And it really got to be uh, a very likely reality when the league took the draft on the road, and and it worked. Chicago, Philly, you know, not Vegas. They they didn't work out, but wherever else it's been, and it's just not the same. It's just not the same taking the draft, where you're taking a bunch of podiums and you have thirty, you know, fifteen twenty players come in for 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 the uh, interviews. In the combine, it's it's three hundred and thirty some players. And it gives you the it gives teams a level playing field and access to these players for everything that goes on. And uh, what Jeff Foster said is, we he said Indy simply did too good of a job. And the league sees that this can go on the road. And what he hopes, and again next year in next February it's here. And then the only way it's here in 2023 is if if the city that wins the bid, Dallas or who are uh, Dallas or L.A is not ready for it. Then it comes back to Indy another year. But his hope is that there gets to be a rotational group like there is with the Super Bowl, four or five cities, New Orleans, Tampa, Miami, L.A., Phoenix, and then Indy would be in the rotation. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just, it just works. It, it, it's, I know it sounds like we're being Mother Hinnish with this, but it simply works. And we talked to GMs a couple years ago, and they said, why would we move it? because it works here and, and what leagues want, what the teams want is things to work seamlessly. They want to know when workouts are, they want to know when medicals are, they want to know when they can get the interviews and psychological 
But the league, you know, the league gets what the league wants. And the league wants this on the road for whatever reason. I don't know how it generates more money. I just don't. Because you're going to, you know, 10,000 people, fans that, that can maybe get interactive with, with it in Indianapolis, same number in L.A. or Dallas or wherever. You know, the TV ratings have got to be the same wherever it's coming from. So they just want to kind of make this available. And, you know, talking with the city a couple of years ago, this it's about 8 or $9 million in economic boosts that they generally project. So a lot of reasons. But, but for all those reasons, this will go on the road starting next year. Joe, obviously. After, after next year. Yeah. Joe, obviously the, um, the result or the um, – Everything that is kind of the ancillary benefits of the combine are, are, are all well and good for for scouts and GMs. Obviously, it's all about what happens on the field, and uh, Indy was a great place for that. You're going to get a great field wherever you go, I guess. But yeah, I, I assume you're still going to watch, even though you might have to shed a tear with not not being in your home city here in Indi- Indiana, in Indianapolis. Excuse me. Yeah, you know, seeing uh, watching the forties will still be just as much fun, but it's just kind of a bummer. It's kind of like a pride thing yeah you know, totally. indianapolis hosts the combine um it's not like they really let fans in or anything like that that much anyway you can really watch most of the drills but it's kind of a bummer this has to happen but i understand why and hopefully like mike said Indy can become a part of a uh, close rotation and get it every few years. Okay, let's get to this weekend's matchup between the Colts and Titans, broadcast locally in central Indiana on CBS 4, 1 o'clock Sunday afternoon, uh, opening things up with the injury report. Uh, the Colts held a walkthrough on Wednesday's practice, Coach Frank Reich describing uh, his strategy for this week to kind of dial it back a little bit. He said several reasons for that, having to do with the health of the players, just the uh, the leadership council from the team, uh, I think where they are in the season, not having a bye until week 14 is a really big part of this, too. Kind of having a light week now having, because they have the latest bye in the league. And they had six weeks of preseason, now seven weeks in the regular season. So um, you want, want, to, want to take it easy a little bit as a very physical Tennessee team is coming to town. But anyway, on Wednesday, in this uh, estimation of a player's participation, uh, since it was a walkthrough, uh, T.Y. Hilton did not practice with a quad injury. Um, Frank Reich said on Monday Hilton was close to playing at San Francisco and he's optimistic about the Titans game. Um, T.Y. said on Thursday this week he feels good, but he's got some more things to do. Uh, Mike, we, uh, we got one in the win column with, uh, without T.Y. Hilton last weekend. So the, the, three and 14. That's right. The record improves to three and 14 all time. You can follow me on Twitter at Dave G underscore sports for that, uh, <laughs> that update weekly. It seems, uh, not that I like, it's just become a thing that I do now, you know, since, uh, since it's a thing that I always talk about here on the podcast, but follow the podcast too at Colts blue zone. You can follow Mike at M chapel 51. Joe Hopkins is at Rota street. Joe. Um, the Colts have certainly, I think, found something good in Michael Pittman uh, that uh, really was on full display in San Francisco. But having the ghost back, Mike, is certainly a, a benefit that they, they, they would not turn away if uh, he's uh, healthy and ready to go for the Titans. Yeah, the ghost back on Halloween, that would sort of be appropriate, wouldn't it? No doubt. But, uh, yeah, and people I say, well, what, what will he bring? He just brings his presence, prim- not, not primarily, but he brings his presence, and you simply – have to take advantage, you know, be aware of him. Uh, Houston, it was four for eighty, and I, I just think what what he what he does to to distract attention from a Michael Pittman or allow Jonathan Taylor or Naheem Hines to to, to leak out or the tight end. So, getting him back would be huge. Uh, he wasn't there the last time. I I don't know if it would have mattered in the Tennessee game the last time the way 
as immobile and really ineffective as Wentz was. But anytime T.Y. can play. And one thing, Frank didn't say he's optimistic T.Y. is going to play. He said very optimistic. So so for Frank to go that far, uh, I thought spoke volumes because he said he was optimistic on Braden Smith. We'll see. I just When Frank says what he said on Monday, I, I really thought there's a very good chance. And, again, today and yesterday were – Lighter practices, walkthroughs. Tomorrow will be the day. And but but you know we've seen Ty as one of those rare guys, at least for this team, that doesn't have to practice to play. So uh, I I think he plays uh, with a guy with Mike Wells in the press room. I won five bucks when Ty came back the first time. I lost five bucks last week on him playing. So we're not betting this week. But I I think he plays, and I think Ty has sort of taken the low-key, you know, hey, we'll see approach. I, I think he plays, and that will be a boost because Tennessee will see wins like they haven't seen him, and they'll see T.Y. like they haven't seen him for a couple of years. A couple of cornerbacks also did not participate in practice Wednesday, Xavier Rhodes and Bo Pete Keys. But uh, good news that uh, Xavier did practice uh, on Thursday, uh, according to a couple of media members who were out there at practice. Um, and limited in participation Wednesday, Braden Smith. Uh, he was out in practice as well uh, on Thursday, which, uh, Joe, a good good sign for the offensive line. We, we were just talking before the podcast, though, to be fair to Matt Pryor. He's been pretty good over there at right tackle, uh, at least not disastrous. You're not seeing uh, every drive somebody come off of Carson Wentz's right side and, and, and uh, pursue him there in the backfield. I would not describe Matt Pryor's performance as a, a mitigated disaster. No. But uh, uh, it would be good to get the $18 million per year Braden Smith back into the lineup um, because, you know, with, with Quentin back – Fisher presumably getting back into form week by week and then Braden Smith back. This can hopefully return to the top tier offensive line that we came into the season expecting it to be. Jonathan Taylor was a limited participate participant in practice on uh, on Wednesday. And Chap, I found uh, found it very interesting what Taylor had to say to the media th- uh, this week, saying that he has never missed a practice with the Colts, with Wisconsin, or in high school. Not even a practice. This is a running back. A guy that is not exactly a like a guy that is a physical running back. Let's put it that way. I mean, that's just a stunning stat, and it, it speaks volumes about his durability, his his workout regimen, how he takes care of himself. Uh, not that other guys don't, but boy, he's he's got the good genes there. Jonathan Taylor does. Yeah, uh, hopefully he was knocking on wood when he said that. But yeah, that's what you want in a running back. And when you look at Derrick Henry, I mean, he all he does is play and carry the ball in in. in answer the bell, and that's what you want Jonathan Taylor. That's what they really had with Naheem Hines as well. You know, he, he, he's played and he's been there. So the fact that it's a running back, that's just such a short shelf life because if they're on the field for 50 plays, they get hit 50 times. They just do whether they're carrying the ball, whether they're in pass protection. So it's it pretty amazing. But, yeah, you're right. We kept saying, well, you had to miss a practice. Not a game, a practice. Uh now he missed the game last year with COVID, but he said, but he said, but but that was on that was after practice on Friday, so he went through practice on on a Friday and, and then missed the game, so very 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 encouraged by his durability and and you just hope it goes forward. He, he, and again on the ribs, he doesn't remember exactly when it happened in the game, and and that's why Frank indicated that what he wasn't in on that last series in Frisco to put the game away. He said, well, he, he was dealing with what he said, a little something. 
So it was apparently the ribs. But that's why they've got, you know, Naheem Hines and Marlon Mack, that, that if there's something going on, you've got quality players to sip in. Naheem Hines as well, dealing with an injury, limited in participant in practice on Wednesday. Uh, Rocky Seen, we mentioned already, but he was out of practice uh, on Thursday too. Uh, limited on Wednesday, Kamoko Ture, defensive end with a groin. And Jordan Wilkins was uh, at long last back in practice, a full participant, returning from his non-football illness that made him miss like two or three weeks there. So glad to see a, one of the Colts' uh, big special teams contributors there uh, back in, in practice as well. Uh, for the Titans, a couple defenders on injured reserve, cornerbacks Caleb Farley and Christian Fulton. Uh, Farley, we talked about him in our pre-draft uh, podcast this year because uh, Joe liked him, cornerback uh, out of Virginia Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fulton was a second-round pick in 2020, so a couple of their young cornerbacks are now are now out. So that that immediately puts the uh, the secondary under the microscope a bit. We'll get to our keys to the game a little bit, but I'd imagine a, a little bit of Carson Wentz would be uh, would, would be listed there. Also, Jayon Brown, linebacker uh, on injured reserve too, and uh, their uh, their practice participation report is a whole lot more full than than the Colts is. And that's the first. I know, right? For real, it really is this year, a first time, but. Uh, did not participate in practice Wednesday. Julio Jones with a hamstring injury. Uh, Chester Rogers with a groin injury. Uh, fullback, uh, Kari Blazing Game. Is that how you pronounce it, Joe? I hope so, because that's a cool name. It's an awesome name. <laughs> yeah, he's out with a knee injury. Uh, Bud Dupree missed practice with a knee injury. Amari uh, Hooker, uh, their safety with a groin. Cornerback Chris Jackson, so another cornerback there with a foot. Uh, linebacker Monty Rice, illness, defensive lineman Tier Tart with a groin injury. And then a uh, limited participant, ta- offensive tackle Bobby Hart has a chest injury. But uh, Taylor Lewan was back to full participant in practice. He had a concussion and missed last week's game. So uh, that's quite the lengthy list there, chap. Out of all those players, you know, Julio Jones is certainly a notable one. Uh, but he only has one game with more than 60 yards receiving this year. So I- I'm sure that the Titans would have preferred more than that. Uh, when they signed in this offseason, but at the same time, they're five and two. They have wins over the Bills and the Chiefs, if not that loss to the Jets, which uh, they, they uh, I'm sure, try to sweep under the rug. But uh, it's a, um, it, it's, it's not a completely empty injury report. There are not an uneventful injury report that they're going to have to overcome this weekend. Yeah, and again, the, the people that they really lean on are healthier: Tannehill, yeah, Henry, and, and AJ Brown. And AJ Brown is really, really stepping up and and. I want to say he's he's unheralded across the league, but holy smokes, he's at power, speed, breakaway, and all that. So, well, AJ Brown, 25 catches, he's averaging 14-2 with a couple of touchdowns, and he and Tannehill, given time, can really be a problem. That's why it's important, obviously, to get back if, if Xavier Rhodes and Rocky Seen can can be out there. Uh, it does look like the Colts are getting healthy at the right time, which kind of what we talked about going through that first month of the season is, you know, keep yourself in contention and get healthy. So, uh, yeah, it, it is it is rare that a team has more injury concerns than the Colts, but that seems to be the case this week. Well, the Colts are 3-4. and four, The Titans are 5-2. and two. They will play inside Lucas Oil Stadium this weekend. Tennessee has won three games in a row after that surprising overtime loss to the Jets earlier this year. They beat the Jaguars, the Bills, and the Chiefs. And, of course, the uh, Bills and the Chiefs were in the AFC Championship game last year, as Mike was alluding to earlier, Joe. It seems like whenever one team in the AFC starts to seem like the, the team to beat in the AFC, another team kind of uh, leapfrogs them. That goes to 
the Bills uh, having one or two struggles, and then the Chiefs uh, just kind of falling apart a little bit more this year than we expected. But right now, the Titans are are very good. They are the class, along with the, the Raiders uh, of all the teams right now, playing the best football in the AFC, it seems like. Ravens just lost last week, yep. if I uh, remember correctly. To the Bengals. So. Bengals beat them like 41-17. to 17. And Bengals are looking pretty good, good themselves yeah. this year. Yeah, so uh, good luck guarding Jamar Chase. Thankfully, the Colts um, don't have to worry about that this week. But yeah, the AFC is very much up for growth grabs but it almost makes it tougher on the Colts because that's going to make the wild card contention that much harder with so many teams involved I mean you look at the AFC West alone with the Chiefs you know they're going to be in it the Raiders leading right now and the Chargers are a talented squad as well Um, you look at the North with the Bengals the uh, Ravens and then the Steelers, I think, are a team that's going to hang around and be in wild card contention. So if the Colts can't win this game and find a way to win the division, uh, hanging your hat on the wild card is not something that's going to be that easy. No, you don't want to do that. You don't want to rely on that for sure. And last year, you just made it in by the skin of your teeth uh, yeah. and that extra wild card spot, which is back this year, thankfully. So uh, maybe that'll be uh, be in the Colts' favor yet again. But when they take on the Titans, there's one player and one player alone that sits atop the uh, the perch of who you have to watch, who you have to guard, who you have to make sure that you have under wraps. Mike, that's Derrick Henry. He is leading the league in rushing. He's on pace for a record-breaking season. The uh, extra game will certainly help, but nevertheless, it's still a record-breaking season. And um, he is right now uh, nearly 300 yards ahead of second-place Colts' Jonathan Taylor, for the NFL's rushing lead. As you mentioned, Mike, they, they, they rely on Derrick Henry to be the, the horse that draws the carriage, and he has done so, helping them to a 5-2 and two record very, very well so far this year, as expected. Yep. Yeah, for all those on-pace people, he's on pace for 460 ca- 464 carries for 2,110 yards. Both would be records. Uh, and to show you the difference in, in, in Henry and in, in and Jonathan Taylor, Henry's least carries this year is 18 in the opener. That's Jonathan Taylor's big game of the season, so far, 18 carries. So it's just kind of crazy looking at how reliant they are on a running back and doing what he does. His carries this year were, were, were it was 17, 17, 35, 28, 33, 29, 20, 29. And then, oh, by the way, he's getting more involved in the passing game. You know, he threw that little jump pass for a touchdown, which I was about to say, yeah, he's be throwing the ball. That's fair. Right. When you're that good, you shouldn't be allowed to do all that. But we keep, I, I kept, I kept thinking in the offseason that you can't keep relying on a running back to be there every game. 25 carries every game because running backs simply get hurt unless you're Frank Gore, you know, who, who, who just plays. But so far he has. He's been there. They've leaned on him. And it, it's just for a running back to be in position to be the MVP is crazy. But that's kind of what he's doing. And, and he's got – I think I was looking at his averages against the Colts are like – it's 109 yards, 5.5 attempt. In seven games, that's against uh, Eberflus in, in in seven games. So it, it's one of those where you know what's coming, and you know how often it's coming. But so can you deal with it? And he's got four straight hundred yard games against these guys. And uh, they, they, I was talking to Darius Leonard today, and he said that their goal every every game is a hundred yards rushing by the team, 
and 3.7 per game. And I said, does that change with Derrick Henry? He said, no, every game, 3.7 and 100 yards. So we'll see if they can, I don't know what the word you want, contain, slow down, neutralize. I don't know what. You're not going to hold him to 25 carries and 50 yards. That's not going to happen. But what's going to be the grunt level on what you what you can give up to Derrick Henry and still win the game? The, the funny thing, Joe, is everyone knows that Derrick Henry's getting the ball, and yet he still gets the ball, and he still runs for 100 yards. And he has three games with three touchdowns this year. I mean, you know he's going to get the ball in the red zone, for crying out loud. It's Derrick Henry. Who else is going to get the ball? And he, he still is able to, to muscle past everyone, it seems, and lead the league in rushing. Yeah, it's just, just an absolute freak. I mean, I've never seen another running back, 6'3", 250 pounds, who can, oh, by the way, break off a 76-yard run against the Bills, who have a pretty darn good defense themselves. I mean, he's got the speed, uh, the vision, the strength. Uh, d- stay out of his way for a stiff arm or else he'll be on another highlight. Derrick Henry is the best running back in the NFL right now, and there's a lot of great running backs in this league. One thing the Titans are able to do really well is take advantage of uh, teams that are either sleeping or put one too many players in the box. So it seems like they'll still run it if there are eight, nine guys in the box and let Derrick Henry do his work. But nevertheless, uh, at times, they can really hit you deep, and they could be dangerous. Uh, Julio Jones we mentioned earlier, A.J. Brown we mentioned earlier, uh, Brown especially is, is heating up a little bit. He has 15 catches for 224 yards over his last two games, uh, much different than his first four games when he was a little bit banged up. He only had 10 catches in his first four games for 130 yards. So um, he, he's finding his stride with Ryan Tannehill. And, and, Mike, in that first game, the Colts game uh, against the Titans, what Tannehill did that hurt them so much wasn't necessarily with his arm. It was with his legs on a couple bootlegs on some long-distance conversions uh, keeping the chains moving, keeping the offense on the field. But um, I, I know you got to think that is something that uh, is, is on film and on repeat in front of uh, the Colts' defensive line and linebackers to stay at home there when Tannehill is faking the handoff one way because they certainly beat them badly with a couple of those, uh, if you want to call them misdirection plays, you want to call them bootlegs, whatever you want to say it. But they, they were kind of the thorn in the Colts' side in that first game against the Titans. I think he had three carries for 56, 58 yards, whatever it was. Something like that. It's 56, and, yeah. Right. And a couple of them were just – what what it does, it you've got the perfect defense call a lot of times, and he just burns you. The quarterback burns you. But we've seen – and we saw it in, in the Frisco game where misdirection really really impedes this defense. It gets it gets them going. It, it works their, their, their instincts and their aggressiveness against them. And how do you not go into this game? We talked to DeForest Buckner and a couple of the players. They said, read your keys, you know, trust your keys. But so many games, the edge defenders, bite on, they bite on, on, on the motion, and then the quarterback gets out on the edge. And you simply cannot allow Tannehill to get out on the edge and do that kind of a damage because, because you know Henry's going to hurt you. You know at some point A.J. Brown's going to hurt you, so you can't let Tannehill get out there and get those – convert those second nines or whatever with a, with a 17-yard run, and you would hope that in this game that they finally play disciplined enough to, to where that doesn't happen in key situations. But we've seen the it crazy thing is ta- an awful lot. The crazy thing is Tannehill on this season, Joe, only has 140 yards rushing, and 56 of them came in that one game against the Colts, as we just said. So they, I mean, it's not like they always run Tannehill so much. He's something that he can do, but it was certainly something where they, they found something that was – that was 
um, that they could attack the Colts' defense in doing, and they went back to it a couple times. Well, and it's just the perfect compliment for Derrick Henry because you want to crash, and yeah. you, you know you're going to need more than one man most of the time to bring down Derrick Henry. So everyone going after him, and then he just sneaks out. Uh, Tannehill, that is, sneaks out the backside and gashes you. And I mean. I get his receivers, Brown and uh, uh, Julio Jones, have been banged up, but it's not like he's been killing it this year passing the ball. Uh, seven to five touchdown to interception ratio is just okay. I'm sure the Titans would hope for a little bit better than that, but he does have three rushing touchdowns on the year. So the Colts definitely have to be mindful of Tannehill's ability to beat you with his legs. On the other side of the ball, you look at the Titans' defense, and uh, the uh, their main uh, threat this year has certainly been their edge rusher, Harold Landry, out of Boston College a couple years ago. He's having a great season, seven and a half sacks in the league through seven games. Uh, only Miles Garrett of the Browns has more. He's had a sack in all but one game this season. Uh, Chap, he's the consistent performer that the Colts have been <laughs> been looking for for years now. But if you if you get seven and a half sacks over seven games, that's that's exactly what you hope for out of your pass rush, just to have somebody that you know can get after the quarterback, somebody that can win one on one situations and uh, can can be a threat on those four or five plays throughout the game that really can change up the uh, the course of the game. Yeah, Danico Autry's got three and a half sacks as well. That's not bad. In in, in through seven games, consistently for, for a lot of reasons, the, the the Colts' pass protection has been vulnerable on the edges. It just has been. Eric Fisher still. I, I realize that was Nick Boza against the Niners, but but Nick Boza had some some really good rushes against Eric Fisher, and maybe if they get Braden Smith back, that'll shore up the right side. Although again, Matt Pryor's not been has not been awful. He's I think he's been pretty good. So uh, you've got to, you've got to protect the edge and, and give Wentz a chance to step up and make plays, which he did. There were two or three plays against Frisco where he simply climbs the pocket and lets plays develop down the field. But uh, th- th- this is a uh, pass rush has given these guys problems. It just has. What's I think Wentz has been sacked is it 16 times, 14 times, whatever it is. So so I think it's I think it's 14, 13 or 14. So they've got to keep him cleaner than they have. But again, from the first game when he could not move, it was embarrassing to see how immobile he was. And now we've seen how he can move out and escape and extend plays and do damage. So, But if you're not careful, Harold Landry and Denico Autry can wreck a game. Safety, uh, Kevin Byard, also uh, a threat in the secondary. He has three interceptions tied for the third most in the league, also seven passes defended. So we talked about some of the injuries to their cornerbacks, and that's certainly true. Uh, but they definitely have a safety back there. You want to want to be careful throwing the ball around him. Tennessee's defense is, you would say, average statistics-wise. They're allowing 23 points per game, which is 16th, right in the middle in the NFL. Uh, there are yards allowed. They're 22nd in the league. They're allowing about 380 yards. 10th in sacks, so it's a little bit better than average there with 17. 15th in takeaways, right in the middle with 8. Colts have double that with 16 takeaways, so that's just for reference. Uh, on offense, Tennessee is a third in the NFL in rushing, 155 yards per game, first in rushing touchdowns. That's their bread and butter. Uh, passing offense, only 25th uh, in, uh, in yards per game with 227. And they've allowed the fourth most sacks with 21. So you can get after Tannehill, providing you keep him in the pocket. Don't let him <laughs> bootleg out and, and get a, a free uh, 10 yards down the side down, down the sideline. So, um, so that's uh, just a, one way to attack him. So let's turn to our keys to the game. Uh, Colts Titans, Sunday, Lucas Oil Stadium, 1 o'clock, broadcast in central Indiana on CBS4. Uh, your top key to the game, 
do what you've been doing if you're the Colts so far uh, this year that has led to success, which is establish the run. Uh, Colts running backs carried the ball only 16 times in their first meeting in spite of being pretty effective. This was a storyline after that game, chap, where we had to ask Coach Reich and Carson about it, having Carson check out of a couple of run plays because, well, the Titans just put too many guys in the box to run the ball because they knew that Carson was uh, not mobile and he throwing the ball was, was not good and not easy. So it was a great strategy by the Titans defense to force the Colts to throw. And uh, so the Colts weren't just for, ramming their head against a brick wall there. Uh, but the opportunities they got, they were effective there. So once again, you hope you have a couple more opportunities to run the ball this week and, and be just as effective as you were last time against the Titans. And, and, and it's what we've seen the last four games as Wins has gotten healthier and healthier. And I thought, again, against Frisco in just awful conditions, he looked like if you didn't know he had the, the bad ankles early on, you wouldn't know that. He was at, moving around and the RPOs. The the, the 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 touchdown at the goal line was really really fun to watch and then he had the one where he uh was it second and 15 and he goes for 17 and he took by the way he took an awful hit at the end of that play and that's my concern when when he gets back running around is 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 getting hit on the knee like that and have it be something serious but that's why I say it's whatever the Titans saw in in week what was it week three against these guys with with Wentz, they might as well just throw it out the window because that's that's not what you're gonna see. And like you're right that, that, that we talked to Wentz and he, the criticism initially I thought was on Reich for not calling more run plays. But if you listen to it, it was more on Wentz for checking out of them because it's kinda like Peyton Manning always used to say you're not trying to get into the best play, you're trying to get out of a bad play. So that's what I think Wentz saw with the stacked line is why why would I run it against this? But now with the threat of, of him being back where he is and with Taylor, Mack, and Hines, there is a threat of the th- pass and the run. So I, I think we're gonna I think we should see more run than we saw. I hope we will see more run than we saw last time. Joe Jonathan Taylor had sixty four yards on just ten attempts last time against the Titans. You would you would love it for, for it to be double that if he's averaging six point four yards per carry, wouldn't you? Yeah, we've been begging for that all year basically. Feed Jonathan Taylor. Even it was even frustrating at some points during the um San Francisco game. I'm not sure exactly when the rib uh, injury happened, but it's when he's running that well, it's just why take him out of the game? Why put him Mac or Hines? I get they can contribute in their own right, but when a guy's got the hot hand, let him do his thing out there. I mean, this is probably your best offensive player not named Quentin Nelson, and I think as Jonathan Taylor continues to establish himself, that gap between the two players gets closer and closer. But, yeah, feed Jonathan Taylor with the rushing attack. Give him some more screens. We've seen all it takes is a crease, and he can go the distance. So feed JT. And you know what? It'd be nice if they could get a – Hines going a little bit as well because he really hasn't been doing a whole lot since that Tennessee game where he scored his touchdown. Boy, he had a great he had a great shot against Frisco, didn't he? That swing pass. Oh man, uh, where he just—I don't want to say that was a rain-induced drop because it was right in his hands, and I, I'm not sure if he would have scored because his safety was coming down on yeah. him. It was 20 yards anyway. And, and the thing again with with Wentz, j- just to to, to kind of emphasize what he's been since the Tennessee game. The last four games, three wins and an awful collapse in Baltimore, 77-113, that's 68%. Uh, 
1,003 yards, eight touchdowns, no interceptions, a 119.5 rating, and he's averaging 8.8 an attempt. So th- th- this is this is what they envisioned when they dra- when they when they made the trade for him, and hoping they would get this year moving forward. And if he plays like this, they're going to be tough to beat. Again, they should have beaten the Ravens, and we could do a whole podcast on what that game would have done for this team. I mean, it just would have flipped the script in so many areas. But again, the the, the difference than what he will be this week as opposed to week three is immense, and I hope they take advantage of that, meaning the Colts. Yeah, I know you guys did touch on this for sure earlier this week on our first Colts Blue Zone podcast, kind of recapping the game of the week, but um, there's just talking about Carson Wentz in particular, it's, it's been, of course, a continued story this year and even throughout the offseason. Should the Colts bring in Carson Wentz? Boy, he was terrible last year. Boy, he turns the ball over so often. I wasn't going to bring it up, but since you brought it up, Chap, then I, I, I figure there, there's at least the, 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 the peak in the door there. Do you know that Carson Wentz is seventh in NFL history in touchdown-to-interception ratio? Seventh. That's above players like Steve Young. It's above players like Peyton Manning. And Drew Brees, the incredibly accurate Drew Brees. And yet Carson Wentz gets the, uh, gets the moniker of being a turnover machine. Somehow, some way. It's one bad year. Here's the deal. There, yes, it is one bad year for sure. And I completely agree with that. He also does fumble more. So I can, I'll give you that too, a little bit, to some extent. When you bring in fumbles, you're also bringing in offensive line play. So you're bringing in an entirely another... Um, factor as well so I, I just want to throw that out there immediately every fumble that Carson Wentz has is not on him let's let's be direct we're talking about interceptions right here interception touchdown ratio seventh all time it's pretty good and then you look at what happened in that 49ers game look there was a string of three plays there where it looked like he was trying to turn the ball over it really did like you can't deny that right chap there could have been at least three maybe four interceptions in that game there really could have been yeah but even the one that looked like an interception wasn't. It turned out to be a fumble because it was knocked out of his hand. And, and here's, like, here's my thing with that, with that play. Like, even in the moment, and I think I tweeted something to the extent of, oh, no, oh, yuck, because that, that looked terrible. But you go back and you look at it, and you can see exactly what he's trying to do. Because Pascal's Zach, wide open. Wide open, Zach Pascal, wide open. If the defender doesn't get his hand on that ball, that could be a walk-in touchdown. It just depends on how good of a gra- grasp he really had on that if the ball really slips out of his hand or See, what. See, that, that, the, the, when I looked at that three or four times, I still wonder how you're going to shovel the pass 10 yards, 15 yards down the field. I don't know if he would have or not, but, boy, it was, it was there. Yeah. It would have taken one hell of a flick of the wrist. It would have. It was, it was not a short shovel. But, but here's my point to this. For the quarterback that you want leading your team, like you want a guy who is going to be a playmaker and can win you a game. And that is what Carson Wentz is in his DNA. Like he's going to try for those plays. And I think that's what fans want. They want a quarterback that can win games. That's what quarterback that's what Carson Wentz can do because he makes play he can make plays like that. And it it just seems it seems strange to me that people say, be a playmaker, be a playmaker. Then he goes try to be tries to be a playmaker and they're like, oh, not like that. Well, that, 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 that's what you get when you have a quarterback who's a playmaker. The, the guys who are Aaron Rodgers are, are the albatross. The Patrick Mahomes is the albatross. If you're only happy if Patrick Mahomes or, or Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback, when 
Pat's had his fair share of picks this year, he too. He has, I know, exactly. That's that's again more to my point. Like like you're setting the bar too high. You're setting the bar at perfection. You're just not gonna get that. What Carson Wentz has given you, especially the, the point you make, Mike, in these last four weeks, has been exactly what you want. Exactly what you want from your quarterback. Nothing more, nothing less. It is exactly what you want from your quarterback in the NFL. And the Colts are getting that from him. The Colts in the past, they have had two albatrosses at quarterback. They've had Peyton Manning. They've had Andrew Luck. They've had generational talents there. So I think that has certainly sullied what Colts fans think about what a quarterback should be, what their quarterback should be. Carson Wentz is not the same player that Peyton Manning is cerebrally. He is not the same player that Andrew Luck is physically. But he certainly has capabilities that both of them had in himself. Not entirely. The don't don't take this to be like Dave. Dave thinks that Andrew uh, that Carson Wentz can be can be Peyton Manning. <laughs> don't, don't don't start Dave that. Dave Griffith cites touchdown but, to interception but, but ratio. I, I, yeah, you get you guys <laughs> both get my point that that Carson Wentz I think has been everything you hope for. And if you come if you come back with the caveat of so far. Yeah, you're correct, but at the same time, like, well, what do you? What else do you want him to do? So you're just like, if you come back, Carson Wentz has been pretty good so far, and you stress the so far. Well, again, that shows that you're not like. It shows that it shows to me like that you're just not willing to accept him as your quarterback to this team. That that's that's my opinion. That's what I think about it. So I left it there, chap. I'm sure that you have some thoughts about what I said. We were talking about this in, in the in the uh, press room today about Wentz. If you had to rate, if you had to rank quarterbacks right now, I think he's he's eleventh or twelfth in the league passer rating and all that, and that's probably where he is, may, maybe a tad higher. But if I had to name ten quarterbacks I'd rather have than Carson Wentz, I could do it. But they're all great, great players. The the Herberts and the Allens and and, and Brady and and Russell Wilson when he's healthy, Murray and Jackson. But do you want Tannehill before you want Wentz? I don't. No. Uh, Kirk Cousins? No. No. Uh, Jameis Winston? No. No. Uh, I, I just, you know, and I mean, you know, J- Joe Burrow, Prescott, Stafford. I don't want Jared Goff before I want Wentz. So, to me, it, it's the, the the criticism that's still there, and it's still there with, with Wentz. It's not, well, so far, it's like, yeah, but you know he's going to go back to 2020 for him. These are people in my mind that they have an axe to grind on what wins and there's nothing that he can do or we can say that'll say, no, you're wrong because they're, they're in that. And I think in the off season, we kind of said that if what the Colts need is a little more than Phillip rivers gave them. And that's what they're getting. And I think if that's what you get, there's nothing wrong with that. And to say that wins is not better than 10, the 10 quarterbacks I can name that shouldn't be seen as a criticism. You know, he, he's not as good as Joe Burrow. He's not as good as Josh Allen. He's not as good as Kyler Murray. Well, okay, there's a bunch of quarterbacks not that good. I think, and, and again, it's a, to me, it's a slap to say he's good enough. Well, he, he's more than good enough. He's what they need, the way this team's structured. It's amazing to me how one season, one awful season by the team and by wins ha, has totally obliterated the other year, it's, you know, one was really, really good, and the others were okay. We're, we're pretty good. But that one season is, is just really tarnished the reputation, and the only way that he can really get past it is to keep doing it. 
you know, he, maybe he goes out next you know, Sunday and he just, you know, soils himself and just has a bad game. I don't, I don't think that happens. But until that happens, and in over a long haul, this is the quarterback they, they wanted. This is a the quarterback they were willing to give up a, what, a three and a one to get. If this, if this is all they get from Carson Wentz, they're fine. I would say the last thing, I, the based on how Wentz has played this season, the only legitimate criticism would be health concerns. Mm-hmm. And that that's over the long term. Um, you know, it's been a plaguing issue year after year for him in the past. It's already come up to hurt him and the Colts this season. I mean, I think we all agree they would have beat Tennessee the first time if Wentz was healthy. Um, and that completely flips this whole script here. So Wentz's play is not up for debate. He has been good this year based on just about any statistical metric. And if he continues this, I think the Colts win that trade hands down and, and salary cap. I mean, they're paying him 20 mil a year roughly, which is at this point in the NFL, a bargain for a franchise quarterback. The only legitimate concern with Wentz at this point during his tenure with the Colts is injuries. And that's something we'll just have to see how it plays out. Well, that brings us to our second key to the game. Now that we are back from that rabbit trail, that Carson Wentz must continue to play at a high level. Uh, the passing game couldn't take advantage of stack boxes in that first meeting against the Titans. Uh, chap, we, we talked with Carson this week and he said, uh, even, even with that injury, he knew that there were plays to be made in that game, going back and look at the tape and, and seemed like he was really, he was getting hard on himself. Uh, he was hard on himself about those, uh, those plays that, uh, that he thought that he could have made in the pocket. Well, now Pit that man. he's, yeah, exactly. Now that he's, uh, he's healthy again, uh, that he hopes that, it, that he can make a couple more of those plays like he has made in the game since that loss to the Titans. Yeah. He said he felt like he was in, he was in mud out there and, and that's a good uh, description because he simply couldn't move and again there were two or three plays where you could see his mind was saying okay l- l- let's leave the pocket and, and get some yards and the body said we're not going anywhere because we can't so that that's what is, is encouraging and you know again how it, this is almost like Tennessee preparing for a totally different quarterback because this will be a totally different quarterback and I just I just hope that this continues because this this is what the Colts need again with, with the way that Michael Pittman is evolving, and if they ever if they ever really maximize Jonathan Taylor, which maybe they won't, maybe this is what they're going to do is give him eighteen carries a game, occasionally get twenty five. But I, I just think I like the way this offense plays. Moali Cox is being a bigger and bigger factor with wins, so they've got it dialed up pretty well right now. And again, they've won three out of four. It ought to be four in a row, and and again, this game, coming back to what we said, this game can do so much, and so much rides on how Wentz handles what he has to handle on Sunday. Converting the red zone, our third key to the game. The Colts were only one for three scoring touchdowns in the red zone that first meeting, and uh, over the season, the Colts have scored a touchdown on just 46% of their red zone trips, which is second worst in the league. Um, Though, over the last two weeks, they've scored a touchdown on five of their seven, so they've improved over the past few weeks, which is a good sign. And our, our last key to the game, we'll blow through these and get to the predictions that uh, the Colts need another strong effort from the defense. Uh, three takeaways and 25 points allowed in the first meeting. You, you do not lose too many games when you are plus three in turnover margin. But the Colts proved in week three that it was possible. So you don't want to waste that type of an effort from the defense again. You hope you get some more efficiency from your offense and a healthy Carson Wentz uh, under center. 
Uh, they held Derrick Henry to 113 yards on 28 carries. His longest run was only 19. I think that'd be a huge success if he doesn't run for a 20-yard carry and he runs for nearly runs nearly 30 times and is hovering right around 100 yards because uh, that's just what they do. That's what the Titans do. They keep giving it to Henry. I think I would live with that for sure uh, if you can do that. They held Tannehill to 100, under 200 yards passing, although they did allow three touchdown passes. So uh, need that defensive effort again. Uh, need them to, to stop those drives. Need them to stay fresh. Uh, hopefully the offense gives them some, some fresh legs to, to be able to tackle Derrick Henry over the course of 60 minutes. So let's get to our prediction. Go ahead, Joe. Let Sorry. me interject. Yeah. Your practice report for the Colts just came out, and T.Y. is listed as limited. So it's, oh. it seems he was able to get out there oh. and do a little something today. Um, he's playing. Yeah, he's, he's playing. playing. Yeah, right. the T.Y. is limited. Bo Pete Keys did not practice. Everyone else on the injury report was a full participant Thursday. How so that's great news. That? How about that? It's all coming together. Love it when a plan comes together. Colts Titans, Sunday afternoon, Lucas Oil Stadium, 1 o'clock, broadcast locally on CBS 4 in Central Indiana. FanDuel has the Colts favored. Two-point favorites. Over I don't understand. Now, maybe, maybe, do Joe, maybe you guys can tell. I realize it's perception and you want money on each side, but I find it hard to believe that the Colts are a two-point favorite. I really am. Well, this was what we were talking about last week, where the Colts were like four and a half point underdogs. underdogs. Like, what the heck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, take your money where you can get it. Yeah, we found some fishy lines apparently over the last two weeks, but I don't know. Even still, I'm I'm riding the Colts train this week. I'm feeling optimistic uh, at home, even though they don't always beat the Titans at home. It's kind of the opposite. They beat them on the road, they lose at home. But uh, this year is uh, is reversing the trend. Um, I like the Colts this weekend. I think that uh, I think that Carson Wentz being healthy is a big addition, and that he can take advantage of some more of those plays that he knew he had that first meeting against the Titans in Tennessee. So I'm going to take the Colts. I do think it's going to be uh, tough. Sledding isn't the right word, but we'll go up under the 50 and a half is the over under line. I think like a 24 to 18 ball game, something like that. Uh, get uh, the defenses. Uh, showed that it can be a good matchup against the Titans as long as they keep Derrick Henry in check. It's certainly a big ask, but that's what I think that they do this weekend. Joe, you'll go next, and Mike, you'll wrap us up. I'm also going to take the Colts. I, I feel like I've been taking them probably the last four weeks, and they've almost they've been almost, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, they're playing good football right now. They really are. I'm going to go with Indianapolis. A little higher scoring game. Tennessee is the they're sixth in points right now in the NFL, so I think they'll be able to put up some points. But the Colts' offense has been cooking lately, even in the rain. I uh, can't really cool them, them down too much. So I'm going to go 31-27 to 27 Colts. I'll make it a sweep. And again, j- yeah. just, for my own, j- just for my own confidence, last week I, I picked Frisco to win. But then when it came to do, to do my, my uh, advance for the website, I picked Colts. So I, I, I did pick him in print so I, I can point to that. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going 27-24. I, I just I, – I like the way they're playing. There is a chip on their shoulder about I, – I think they're they're getting a little tired about hearing about Derrick Henry and the Titans, which that's fine, but then do something about it, you know. It, it's, but I, I think they find ways. I like the way the offense is playing. The defense, seven takeaways in the last three ga- – or the last two games. So they're, they're, they're nudging up to that. Remember the, the 40 – takeaway prediction that they yep. talked about they're on pace for like 38 i realize an extra game and all that but Dar- uh, darius leonard is getting healthy healthier he said uh, he's 80 percent better than he was first time they played so they're getting healthy at the right time i, I think this is again 
27-24, and we're going to have Badgley kick a game-winning field goal in, in the closing seconds to kind of seal the deal. Carry him off the field to the rousing cheers at Lucas Oil Stadium. That would be fantastic. The money badger. Colts-Titans this weekend, as I said, broadcast on CBS4. Please follow us on Twitter for Colts news and notes throughout the week at Colts Blue Zone. I'm Dave Griffiths. I'm at DaveG underscore sports. Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. Mike Chappell is at MChapel 51 And we thank you for listening to this week's Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>